Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. Uh, I'm Dan Martin, special effects artist and doer of things. Uh, I'm joined as ever by my co-host, Sam Ashurst, and I'm a screenwriter, a director, and I write about film for a bunch of different places, and I'm very excited to be talking about The Thing today. But before we do that, Dan... Why don't you tell them about the structure of the show? <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, right, I will. So every two weeks, every fortnight, Sam and I will choose a film from the Arrow catalogue, uh, either something from back in the archives or an upcoming title. We'll watch it together, we'll talk about it in depth, some depth, a bit of depth, and uh, and then... And then we'll recommend a couple of films based on that film we've just discussed. And we'll also recommend some films based on what we've watched over the past couple of weeks. Because we watch a lot of weird and upcoming films and we'd like to recommend them to you. But before we do that, Dan, why don't we, instead of explaining the plot of the thing, also explain that this is a very special edition of the podcast. (laughs) And by special, I mean... Special as a pejorative. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, basically, uh, we're going to be recording two back-to-back today. So there might be a weird consistency of sound quality, I don't know, between this one and the next episode. And mainly if any any sort of filmic disasters happen within the next (laughs) couple of weeks, we've we've got no idea. So, so, uh, yeah, we're doing two back to Yeah, if we miss any massive news uh, and seem super oblivious next time, we're doing this in advance. I, it looks like I might be going to North America for a film, uh, which would mean that we'd have to do these by Skype, or we don't want to have to suffer the sound quality drop that that might entail because we don't know how to do it. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's, gonna do let, let's not explain anymore. Let's... Um... <laughs> That's my thing. That is your thing. And, um, you know, I'd like to take this opportunity to say happy birthday to to, to anyone out there whose birthday it is. It might be someone's someone's birthday. We're not doing these until next August. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It feels like we are. But before we do that, Dan, why don't you talk a little bit about the plot of The Thing? Right. Okay. So sort of sort of a remake, but really a standalone film. Um... I think it acknowledges the novel, but not the movie, doesn't it, in the opening credits? So the thing, um, John Carpenter uh, directs this fantastic, moody... It's not. It's just sort of a body horror, isn't it? Monster movie set in an Arctic research station. A bunch of dudes out there are confronted with uh, an alien life form that uh, can mimic anyone it comes into contact with seeding distrust among the group as they try and find it uh, and their attention slowly turn to trying to stop it from reaching civilization absolutely yes indeed and you mentioned the the original novel apparently it was a a more faithful adaptation of uh, the original novel than the the 1951 film oh really um apparently the the 51 version introduces female characters including a love interest for the hero and uh yeah, the, the the use of the hot needle in, in John Carpenter's was taken from the book, um, that, that sequence where they test the blood. And I, I think, I'm pretty sure I read that the director of um, The Thing from Thing Another from World, yeah. the, the 1951 one, wasn't a big fan of John Carpenter's version because I think it's too bloody. And <laughs> I, I think he also said that it was a good advert for J&B Scotch. 
and not much else. Yeah, so, well, we yeah. I made J and B old fashions ahead of our viewing of it. Why so. don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so we because we were because we're double billing when we record, uh, we double bill with our watch as well. And after a conversation with some of my staff and some of my ex students. I realised that there's actually a lot of people, even with these, like, you know, bigger cult titles, um, there are still a lot of people who are a bit younger maybe than us who haven't seen them, which astonished me. And so I thought it might be fun for Sam and I to watch these films uh, with people with an audience who've never seen them before. So we, we gathered together a small group uh, and, and put them on the, the big-ish screen uh, in the home cinema, and we watched these with a, a room full of people who'd never seen it before. I think one of my favourite bits was how absolutely horrified everyone was in the opening scene that they were shooting at a dog yeah and in fact the young lady who reacted to that scene by saying over and over again i hope nothing happens to that dog in francesca francesca so yes i'm sorry francesca something did happen to that dog why don't you it wasn't a dog though no that's true that's true it just looked like a dog it's a, it's a horrible horrible alien spoiler alert by the way <laughs> um you know if you haven't seen this yeah even though we're talking about the uh, well, talking of spoilers, yes. uh, apparently, if you speak Norwegian in the opening scene, the uh, the the dialogue from the helicopter pilots sums up the entire film, <laughs> like gives the whole thing away. That's like, that's amazing. Of, that like, broadcasts the fate of all the characters because he's he's shouting at them in Norwegian, warning them, and that's then uh, and then obviously he doesn't make it long enough to meet a translator. We should probably talk about the opening scene as we normally do. It starts with a sequence in which a spaceship uh, flies through the galaxy and crashes to Earth, and we get a rather lovely title treatment, uh, which duplicates the original Howard Hawks film. Um, yeah. And to create that, apparently uh, they used uh, an animation cell with the thing written on it, placed it behind a fish tank filled with smoke uh, that was covered with a plastic garbage bag, and the garbage bag was ignited creating the effect of the title burning onto the screen. I really like that lo-fi approach. Uh, today it would be done with CGI, but it looks amazing. I yeah, love the title. it's really beautiful. It's worth mentioning that we were lucky enough to have a, an advanced copy of Arrow's new 4K uh, restoration, and good golly, it's beautiful. Mm. I think one of the things that stands out about it, before we get onto the opening, is that the effects don't suffer from that kind of upgrade and that was something I was slightly worried about because while I had every faith in Bettine's work you know it, it was the 80s they didn't necessarily have the materials that we have now and also they weren't necessarily like they wouldn't think that people would have the technology to look at their stuff in the detail that we have now I may have mentioned this before but there's a there's a uh, restoration of the red shoes on Criterion. You have mentioned this before on the podcast. Well, there we go then. But it, it bears repeating. But yeah, like they've 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 punched it so hard. Like it look, it's so crisp and clean and clear that you can see things that the filmmakers never never would have thought you'd be able to see. And the thing manages to withstand that beautifully. It's really really lovely. And that opening stuff with you know with the the model work and the animation work on the spaceship, it's fantastic. It looks great. Yeah, it looks really good. And uh, we should talk a bit more about that, the kind of proper opening scene with the dog being chased through the snow. Uh, I'd like to ask you, Dan, who do you think the best actor is in this film? Probably the dog. It's the dog. <laughs> He's so good. His name is Jed. <laughs> he was uh, half wolf, half Malamute. Oh, yeah. And 
Apparently, he was an excellent animal actor, never looking at the camera, the dolly, or the crew members, which, you know, kind of <laughs> comes across. That's very impressive. However, the dog in the opening sequence is not Jed. What? So it's not the same little guy that goes into the, 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 that, the, I the mean, cage yeah, and the rescue. The, rest that was the genuinely incredible stuff. The stuff in the cage is amazing. It's so good. So well done, Jed. Apparently, the dog that's being shot at is another dog who was painted to look like Jed, <laughs> according to one of my, in the commentary. One of my favourite bits in that opening sequence is there's a moment that you, you'd never think of, you'd never notice on your first watch, I don't think. But, you know, this is our umpteenth watch. It's obviously a, a, a favourite of both of ours. And there's a bit where the dog's running along, the helicopter's coming quite low, and obviously the, the dog handler will have, there'll be a handler in either side of the shot. There'll be the person to hold it and the person to call it. Uh, you know, that's how it works. But there's a bit where the dog is halfway across shot and then kind of doubles back for a few paces and then carries on going. And it, it you know, you'd, you'd miss it immediately. And I don't even know if it was deliberate, but it looks like the creature that we think is a dog actually has an innate un- a much deeper understanding of how to like strafe and serpentine to avoid the gunshots of these Norwegians yeah. than an actual dog would yeah. and it, it makes it feel like much more aware it's a really nice little detail <laughs> and you have a fact about the dog thing don't you the uh... Uh, the only sequence yeah I think it's it's broadly known so I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll run through it but um, yeah so Rob Bettine who did the, the special effects and is you know just absolutely beautiful uh, beautiful work was somewhat overwhelmed uh, by the amount of work that was needed um, and as if you've seen it you'll know um, and if you haven't seen it you will know uh, when you watch it as you should it's it's jam-packed with practical effects so he uh, contacted Stan Winston uh, to help him and Stan Winston is uncredited but was responsible for the first big physical effects scene in the dog pen he sort of came in and took over that for the team yeah and, and between he, he had a, a team of I think 40 people that he was working with for this yeah it was huge it, it was huge and you know the budget was really big for a film like this um, I think it was 10 million dollars which at the time was a, a large amount of money for something like yeah. this and yet still um, Robertine basically was essentially living uh, in his workshop whilst making all of this stuff yeah. um, and was diagnosed with exhaustion and admitted to the hospital during the making of this film and you can really see it because the effort pays off yeah these effects still stand up they look incredible you know even at this level of, of hd um it's some yeah. of the best effects in, in the genuinely ever. beautiful and yeah. he's it's so this this can be a, uh, a negative for some artists, but you can tell they're Bettine sculpts, and I don't think that is a negative. His mm. his um, his sort of like organic swirled flesh work in it is just so lovely and so immediately recognisable as thing esque. It's yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous work. And unfortunately, the film was a bit of a flop, despite all of that hard work and effort. And obviously, it's Carpenter's favourite of his own films, and I think he sort of took it quite hard that it was so badly received. Newsweek said that it was an example of the new aesthetic atrocity for atrocity's sake, which is obviously more applicable to some of the other 
films that we watch. <laughs> this is quite a lot classier than some of the films we watch. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I, I obviously don't agree with that. And yeah, it's uh, it's an all male cast, um, an all male crew. And were you saying the novel's all male? The the novel is all male as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. which kind of makes sense in the era. Absolutely, but um, yeah, as I was going to go on to say before you interrupted me, sorry, sorry. Um, it's an all-male crew as well. Um, there was one woman on the crew, but she was pregnant and was forced to leave and was replaced with a man. <laughs> so whilst there is an excuse for it to be an all-male cast, obviously because of the book, and you certainly don't want them to do what they did in the original film and introduce love interests, I do feel like he could have made a bit more effort with the crew. <laughs> I just I can't get over the phrase she was pregnant so they forced her to leave yeah. I mean I know you didn't say they forced her to leave you said she was forced to leave yeah. but I very much saw it as like pitchforks and chanting <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I mean it's definitely you know yeah it's a very masculine story it's a very masculine film but um, I don't know how did you feel about the prequel having female characters in it uh, yeah great but the thing that was wrong with the prequel was that they'd made the practical effects in sort of the homage to the original. They'd, they'd done it practically and then for some reason decided to replace it all with CGI over the top of it and yeah. it looked awful. There's, in fact... I actually think the thing, you know, I I would have liked the thing remake if it wasn't for that. Pre- that pre- prequel. Yeah. <laughs> Quote, unquote, prequel, prequel. reboot, remake. Yeah, yeah. Same, prequel, same, prequel. It's, yeah, it's officially yeah. a prequel but it's basically the same movie with a load of box checking about how an axe got there and how <laughs> exactly yeah yeah but it's uh, I mean it's it, it's remakes go it's fine but yeah it's good I was I definitely had an advantage prequels go sorry as prequels go when fine. I when I saw it <laughs> in the cinema the air conditioning was on the on the fritz and it was you could see your breath and it was like event cinema <laughs> oh my god so, so you knew you were human in that cinema it was uncomfortably cold <laughs> in that cinema like because that is well you know there's obviously the big mystery about oh. you know uh, are we doing spoilers how spoiler are we going oh I don't know um, yeah maybe we maybe we shouldn't go everyone who's no Knows, knows what we're talking about. We'll exactly. Leave it at that. Yeah, exactly. That, that yeah. was a joke for for the diehard fans out there, or anyone, or just anyone who's actually anyone seen who's it. even seen it. Um, <laughs> now, I, I really do feel it's pertinent to mention once again at this point that we are recording two back to back, and so whilst normally what you'd get is one podcast which has a full focus of research and effort put into it, now you've got two which has half each. What are you talking about? We're, we're so on fire. This is great. <laughs> and I, yeah, I blame Dan. Let's do three. Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, why not? Let's do ten. Um, So, good. Dan, what would you like to say next? (laughs) What's the next bit in our format? What do we do? We've talked about the opening scene. Yes. Oh, no. What's next? Oh, favourite scenes. What's your favourite scene, Sam? My favourite scene, Dan, is obviously the blood test scene. It's incredible from start to finish. It's tense. It's kind of funny um, surprisingly funny uh, the moment where he's like can someone untie me from this I don't want to spend the rest couch. of this winter tied it's, to this fucking, fucking couch. couch yeah exactly <laughs> so good just it's just a perfect scene how about you what's your favourite Dan I, I mean I can't say the same thing can I no you can't <laughs> you tricked me yes uh, <laughs> Uh, I mean, God, it's it's all so good. The, I mean, the dog scene is genuinely the the dog kennel scene. Yeah, yeah, is amazing. I am a. I really like. There's a moment when they mention that all the dogs have been killed. 
and the, the guy who handles the dogs just runs away from the very important thing they're up to at that moment because his main priority is the dogs. Now, that, that makes him a very nice character, in my opinion. <laughs> he cares that much about the dogs. That's true, actually, yeah. And, and you know, we weren't going to do spoilers. That's quite a big one, but it's, yeah. I, I don't say agree. how the dogs died. That's true. That is true. Okay, that's fine. I hope nothing happens to the dogs. <laughs> normally, one of the things we talk about are the extras sometimes we get on to talking about we the do extras. some of those yeah um, and we've got a hand in these we're, yeah we're mainly going to talk about the extras this time because we're on them or one of them we're on one of them we're on we're on we're yes. on this disc we're on this our disc. names are on the back it's very exciting oh welcome welcome to the big time <laughs> exactly so um if you're interested there is a short film by uh, our friend uh, director sean hogan um, which was made around the time of Fright Fest, but we're not going to go into that because you can just listen to our commentary. Track. He does. He covers that on the podcast, on the commentary, he, doesn't he? He does. Yeah, yeah. So we, yeah. So basically, Sean directed a short that was inspired by the thing. It's called Twenty Seven Thousand Hours, which is the oh, oh, that's a spoiler. I can't explain why. It's a, you'll if you watch the just film, watch it. Just watch, watch it. The, watch the film. Even if you don't remember why 27,000 Hours is relevant, it's relevant in the movie. And then the film is inspired by that piece of information. My wife, Jennifer Handolf, produced it along with a bunch of other John Carpenter-inspired shorts. And uh, and I did the special effects for it. And then Sam and I were lucky enough to have Sean over here to record the audio commentary yeah. for the short when it went on the disc. So. Yeah, so, you know, it's basically a, a five-minute version of this podcast um, with a guest basically yeah so do enjoy that and if you like extras from us keep an eye out for the villainess which we'll talk about more in the next podcast which we're gonna have to record in about half an hour because dan's going to toronto i'm going to toronto it's gonna be exciting yeah i hope you have fun it's really snowy yeah me too in, in winter yeah me too um so should we wrap this up <laughs> <laughs> well, we could recommend films we could do that rather than oh, no, is, yeah. that, is that what you mean by wrapping it up that, this is what I say what every you... time Dan I say shall we wrap this up and then we go into recommendations oh, pay attention <laughs> <laughs> so should we wrap this up and go into recommendations yeah yeah why well, yeah, not right. why not so last word on the thing you've probably already seen it let's face it but if you're one of the few people that haven't oh my god just immediately buy it now because it is literally one of the greatest films ever made it really ever. is it's it's yeah it's definitely carpenter's best for my money yeah it's i'd say it's in the top 10 horror films of all time yeah it's yeah it's genuinely amazing and this is I, you know obviously this is the arrow podcast uh but they uh they're very nice about not making us say nice things about them hmm. um it is an incredible disc the, oh the, yeah the, the extras are great the print is gorgeous there's, there's some lovely extras and they've arrow's gone the extra mile here it's n- not just the in-depth stuff that you know because the, the other thing blu-ray was was really packed and they've ported over the extras from that this but, is my fourth my third thing blu-ray yeah I have two dvds and i have my old laser disc still but yeah so um they put it over those uh, other extras but they've created new extras so there's a new feature length documentary on there which yeah. is really in-depth really nice um and there's also a lovely sort of half an hour look at some of the other special films that were released in 1982 
um, it sort of goes month by month for that year and picks out some of the most exciting films because um, it was a very a bit of a banner year. Um, my favourite probably released in the States at that time that they cover on the documentary is The Road Warrior, um, one of another one of my favourite all-time that, films. Uh, can I it sidebar was out, about out Road in, Warrior? It was made in 1981, but it was released in the gonna, States in 82. I'm not going to question you on data, Sam. Oh, Sam yeah. Sam's <laughs> a human calendar. You can basically <laughs> ask Sam when a film was made. And with like 85 to 95% accuracy, he will be able to tell you when a film was made every time. It's amazing. Thank you. It's like weirdly impressive. It's my mutant skill. <laughs> yeah. But no, what were you going to ask? Um, I was going to say, so I found out recently that they did a, a full American accent dub of Road Warrior. Whoa. And what? then it was originally going to be released with all American accents because they thought the Australian accents oh were going to be off-putting. Oh my God, we need to find that. But I don't think it ever got released. Ah. But I desperately want to find it. I want to hear the... La- same language but with <laughs> with American accents yeah that's an in- there's an interesting connection to the thing there actually because there was another cut of the thing I think it was a producer that, that did it that had kind of weird character introductions at the start and like gave like backstory and stuff kind of I've never seen it obviously it was sort of squashed pretty quickly by Carpenter but whenever I think about it now I kind of think of Suicide Squad with like you know MacReady's name coming up <laughs> freeze framing a little fat file on him but uh, maybe not I don't know I don't know you know I found that out on the arrow disc of Dead End Driving because nice. apparently they had been planning to do the same thing for Dead End Driving ah, yes. but didn't have the money and, and, but they but they just dropped the fact that the Road Warrior did it into that bit of information like everyone knew that's awesome I take what the fuck I take back everything I said about this being a bad podcast this has turned into one of the best I think <laughs> um, so what are we doing next yes recommendations recommendations <laughs> who's going first uh, oh, after you I, oh, I feel like my first one feels like it's a natural follow on from your first one I think I know what your first one is and you don't know what my first one is do you want to go first I'll go first go then. first yes oh in fact I, I now I now think I know what your first one is Right, we're gonna we'll, we'll play a game here. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna recommend mine, and I'm gonna guess what Dan's is. Oh, but that if you get it right, you massively undermine my recommendation. No, I haven't. No, not go, at all. Go, fine, fine. Um, so uh, my recommendation is the Hateful Eight. Um, which, when I mentioned that I was going to recommend it to Dan, he said, "Is it because it's snowy?" I now I've given five, ten minutes, but <laughs> twenty minutes, but between then and now, I now obviously realise exactly why it is. But. Yeah, so there, there's a couple of reasons. One, um, Tarantino uses uh, some of Morricone's soundtrack sort of offcuts for the thing. That was, yeah, that was yeah. So stuff that that wasn't used in the movie, um, Morricone kindly allowed Tarantino to use it in The Hateful Eight and it works wonderfully um, and the soundtrack's another interesting thing about the thing um, the fact that obviously Carpenter normally does his own scores and this is I think the first when he went to someone else and oh my god it's so good it's great um, and The Hateful Eight uh, Tarantino describes as basically being the thing meets Reservoir Dogs um, and it's kind of got that atmosphere same atmosphere of paranoia that the thing has and you know it's a, a very again very masculine cast but at least Tarantino puts one woman in there um, very forward thinking Tarantino very forward thinking right I'm now going to guess Dan's film after he <laughs> usurped mine can I, can, I, um, can, I, can I talk about the quality of your recommendation which I do think is a really good recommendation yes please do um, if you take a synopsis of the thing 
and you just take out the word alien and replace it with bad frontiersman or yeah. like corrupt cowboy and and say the same and then also don't use the word architect then you you are basically describing hateful eight i've never really thought of them as connected like that but that that does work really well yeah. like when they're they're trying to work out who's involved and totally yeah and it's even got kurt russell in both so um yeah <laughs> that, that too okay so my guess for dan's next recommendation is the great silence from 1968 it is by sergio kabucci yes. you're completely right yes. my my second favorite film may actually know why i, might, I love the great it silence. might be my first favorite oh. my most favorite film set all in snow yeah i bloody love it um if you've not seen it it's a spaghetti western from kabucci i'm Ah, I'm, I'm, I'm a hard sell with westerns in general I'm more likely to like a spaghetti western than I am a regular western to be completely honest but there are great examples in both both mm. sides of that fence but um, Great Silence is something just incredible when um, when Tarantino first announced Hateful Eight mm. I I assumed it was going to be a hybrid between Great Silence and Cutthroat's Nine um, yeah, yeah. from the description and it's not that far off that <laughs> yeah no but, it, but the thing thing makes a lot of sense um yeah no uh great silence is uh about a uh, a man a bounty hunter who was uh, was the child of a woman killed by uh miscreants and they cut his throat and left him for dead he didn't die but they did manage to render him mute he went on to become one of the most feared bounty hunters in the west and it's set uh, and this amazing, and there's a few westerns set around this time, and I think it's it's one of the most interesting bits of American history to set westerns in, given that westerns are largely based on lies about the history. It's set at the time when they say, okay, well, the government say, okay, well, we're going to stop allowing bounty hunters to be a thing. Uh, so you've got, you know, six months or, or three months or a month to, to sort your business out, and then we're not going to be accepting bounties on people anymore. So he's basically got a countdown on the revenge because the only reason he became a bounty hunter was to track down the people who killed his mother and cut his throat leaving him mute all under the auspice of legal justice and if he leaves it too late now if he's, he's unable to find them in that time period then uh, he's he's going to be a, a criminal himself uh, so it's the ticking clock and it's all set in the snowy north of um, of the west it's fantastic it's a wonderful film and super depressing <laughs> Yeah, other other westerns to recommend. Obviously, Django Unchained does directly reference uh, Great Silence. But if you want some more obscure ones, Massacre Time's amazing. Four of the Apocalypse is also great. And as Dan mentioned, Cutthroat's Nine is also super cool. Right? Yeah, all, all really hard going. Like Cutthroat's Nine of that list, Cutthroat's Nine is the nastiest. Yeah, it's, long it's, shot. it's kind of like a. It's almost like a Fulci film, isn't it? Yeah, very, very. It feels very. Um, and it's got kind of mean spirited. Mean spirited, very violent, and there's a kind of weird supernatural element to it as well it's really good but it's got a, one of my favorite twists and actually interestingly no that's i mean that's not interestingly because a i can't say because i don't want to say the twist and b who cares about children's books i liked when i was a kid there was a children's book i liked when i was a kid, was a kid that i'm not going to name because it's a spoiler for covers nine if you haven't seen it but the twist at the end where's of this, wally <laughs> the kid twist at the end of this kid's book is essentially the same as the twist at the end of Cuthbert's brilliant <laughs> thanks for that dan <laughs> I'm back. To, I'm back to thinking this is the worst podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, Just think about Max speaking in an American dub; you'll be fine. <laughs> it's the best again. Uh, yeah, it is the best again. Right. So my next recommendation is a slightly weird one. For the first time ever, I'm not recommending a film, but I can't 
recommend something off the back of the thing without talking about an episode of The X-Files, which uh, I loved when I was uh, a young man. Oh, yes. Uh, one of my favourite episodes from Series 1, which was insane. Um, it's from the early days when they were basically ripping off all these films that I'd seen that I loved and was seeing a sort of telly version of it. The early days of that, obviously a lot of American shows do that now. But the episode is called Ice. It's episode eight from season one of The X-Files. And basically Mulder and Scully go to a, a remote Alaskan outpost to investigate the presence of a, a parasitic <laughs> alien life form. Uh, and they, they, there's a scene where they have to test each other. There's the paranoia. It's basically a, a straight-up remake. Um, in, the, yeah. in the scene where they have to test each other, they all have to get naked. And I remember it being... Uh, <laughs> Mulder uh, says, "Guys, before I take off my trousers, yes, yes. Remember, we're in the Arctic. <laughs> yeah. It's cold. It's yeah. cold here. Uh, and uh, all I could think was, uh, you've spent the good part of your career up until this point parading around in the altogether for Zalman King." <laughs> yes, you should not be worried about people. It's true, we've all, judging you in the Arctic. We've seen it all before, Mulder. Um, and yeah, the, the episode's directed by David Nutter, who also directed my other favourite X Files episode, which is another uh, rip-off, sorry, homage to a film, um, which is Beyond the Sea. Um, which, if you haven't seen that, that, that is the Exodus three episode. You what now? Um, we're going to watch it after we finish recording. It's incredible. It's Brad DeRiff, Um and oh it's, it's, it's love a bit of Brad. It's a, a exact riff off that film. He plays a, a convict who can who we don't know whether he can or he cannot <laughs> communicate with the dead and he kind of gets possessed by these voices and they're sort of interviewing oh, him wow. to find the location of a serial killer. How which do you remember what series awesome. off the top of your head? I think it's series two. Oh, I, have, I feel like I'm, I think as we watch it, I'll be like, okay, no, I've seen it. No, it's not. It's series one. Fuck, then I've definitely seen it. Because yeah. I've seen all of series, series like one, one, two, and three, and then my and then spatters after that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's so good. So, I'm yeah, those, those are my recommendations. All right, my second recommendation <laughs> is, I think also available on Arrow, you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, Sam, is The Incredible Melting Man. It is. It yeah, is, yeah. It okay, is. so The Incredible Melting Man is nice. a, uh, it's a, it's a, Gross uh, sci-fi horror. Um, I really love it. It's got um, it's got people have mixed feelings about it. I really like it. The, my connection to it is that uh, it's a Rick Baker movie, but Rob Bettine came on as an uh, as an uncredited assistant. Nice. So just like Stan was an uncredited assistant for Bettine on uh, uh, on the thing, there's this lovely cycle uh, like circle of uh, of talent going on in Hollywood when they're all helping each other out. Yeah, it's a, it's a yeah, it's a really fun horror movie. It's not as classy as the mm. thing. It certainly doesn't have the budget of the thing, but um, it's got some great fun practical effects in it. And yeah, and it's a, a a gory sci-fi horror. And if you're a fan of that film already, if you've seen it, then I would like to recommend off the back of that. We're doing loads of recommendations. All the recommendations. recommendations. You've rattled out a bunch of spaghetti <laughs> westerns. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a short film that's on YouTube by the Astron Six guys who who did The Void and. Um, uh, Manborg and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's a short film called Biocop. Have you yeah. seen Biocop? I've not seen Biocop. It's, no, it's, guys. it's really, really fun, and it's basically imagine if the Incredible Melting Man was a cop who screams, "Why am I alive?" whilst arresting people <laughs> and melting. It's so good. So yeah, um, check that out on YouTube. Okay, good. Shall we recommend things that we've watched in the past couple of weeks? 
yeah, go on. Um, me first? You first? You first. Me first? Okay. Um, so, uh, a first watch for me, uh, a gap in my knowledge. Um, I checked out 1961 Taste of Fear, directed by Seth Holt. Um, it's a Hammer movie direct, uh, written by Jimmy Sangster, who did The Mummy, oh, yes. um, and some of the best uh, Hammers. In fact, Christopher Lee, who has a smallish role in Taste of Fear, would describe it in interviews as the best film Hammer ever made. Um, I, like a week later, cannot get over the ending of this film. I love it so much. It's absolutely rocketed up the list of films I, I've i loved. The, you know, films I like. It's absolutely incredible. I, I basically want to watch it again now. It's Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, it's set in, uh, set in just outside of uh, Cannes, uh, in France, although nothing to do with the festival, a paraplegic woman is heading home to see her father. Uh, she hasn't seen it for the first time in 10 years. She hasn't seen him since the, her parents separated. She was living with her mother. Her mother died three years ago. Her best friend was sort of like helping her out and looking after her and stuff. Uh, as I said, she's paraplegic. But then her friend passed away recently, leaving her alone. She has reached out to her father and is uh, has headed over to his place to see him. When she gets there, he is away on business. And his new wife, who the daughter hasn't met before, um, sort of gives his apologies and welcomes her into the home something is amiss and the daughter starts to think that she sees her father's corpse like hidden around the, hidden away in the house which leads to uh, leads to sort of paranoia and suspicion abounding it it's absolutely fantastic I've, with a lot of these like earlier films as I said this is 61 a lot of these earlier genre films it's often possible for them to fall into the trap if you're seeing them for the first time now that especially if they're great as this one is that they've been sort of plundered or stolen from so that it, they sort of feel retrospectively unoriginal which can can undermine the simplicity of some of the early iterations of these ideas but this one is just so tight and so neat and I genuinely haven't seen it anywhere else like there are little bits Else, like that have been taken or have been done again, but nothing in this combination. It's absolutely beautiful. I can't get over how much I love it. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Um, really good recommendation. My first recommendation is a bit of a cheat. It's a film I saw a while ago, but if you live in London or in the UK and are willing to travel, uh, then you will have uh, another opportunity to see it in the next couple of weeks because it's coming to the Prince Charles Cinema. Um, you know, I really think that this film deserved better when it was out, so any extra tickets I can try and sell for it, then, then all the better. It's a film called The Limehouse Golem, which is uh, basically a cross between Seven and another film I can't name because it's a massive spoiler, but <laughs> it's just an incredible murder mystery. Actually, I can say another film. It's like um, Children of Paradise. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, um, it, it's, it's got a kind of similar structure, but it's, it's like a super dark version of that. It's a murder mystery. Um, the advertising pitched it as, as starring Bill Nighy, and he is kind of front and centre, but I'd say that Olivia Cook shares equal billing, and she is astonishing in the film. So it's a, just a wonderful, wonderful, dark, Victorian, weird, very well written, very well structured. It's based on a book. Um, it's it's a long film, I think. I think it's a couple of hours, but um, it is time very well spent. 
you know, if you want a, a really fun afternoon um, with a really, you, you'll be in good hands with this film. Basically, it it starts strong and just gets better and better as it goes on. It's got a wonderful ending. So yes, Limehouse Ghoulam, please go and see it. Ghoulam, Ghoulam. <laughs> uh, also, the downstairs bar at the Prince Charles currently has a few bottles left of the Omnipolo ice cream ale, which is gorgeous. Well, there we go. <laughs> What's your next recommendation, Dan? Uh, my next recommendation is Spasmo. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so I watched the 88 Films Blu-ray of this uh, recently. I'd only ever seen a, like a crappy old VHS boot before. Mm. And it's, yeah, it's great. It's as mad. I'd, I'd forgotten most of it, to be honest. Um, it's as crazy as you could want from these things. You spend about like nine tenths of the movie trying to work out what the hell's going on and why anyone's doing what they're doing um and then it it's got a nice little one-two twist rather than rather than just a a single reveal and it doesn't fall into the trap that that some of these movies do of just going oh no no he was mad yeah no he was mad that's that's the reason for everything yeah it's got some that really annoys you doesn't it i hate it so much i mean don't get me wrong there are some great films that have that but they're not great because of their story. Right. Normally great because of visuals or effects or mm-hmm. soundtrack or whatever. But yeah, no, this one is is delightfully insane and has some some pretty pretty fun crazy dialogue in it as well. Yeah, great. it's really good fun, worth watching. Uh, it's uh, it's Umberto Lenzi, although it's actually quite restrained for a Lenzi movie. I mean, if you think of him as 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 your sort of cannibal feroxy kind of man in this, which is seventy four, so like what six years before Ferox. But uh, yeah, it's it's quite restrained for him. Hmm. Well, um, it kind of reminds me of my favourite offensively titled film, which is The Crippled Avengers, which we've watched together. Um, <laughs> possibly my favourite Shaw Brothers film. I'm not I, sure, maybe <coughs> second or third. It's, it's, but, it's an amazing film. Yeah. It's it's part of an incredible subgenre of uh, physically disadvantaged martial arts cinema. Which but I, it's, it's like the Avengers of that, basically. It's it's all of all of the disabilities <laughs> in one place. It is well, but it's also like well because you got and to, they all come together and well yeah. they, they as they did in Two Crippled Heroes as well yeah but like it's I think the 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 nice thing about those films is that they're always like they always and it's a little Barnum and Bailey maybe but they'd always find a martial artist who could do these things mm. like you can't take someone who was born with no legs and just treat teach them how to do martial arts mm. from the waist up in a month of pre-production like these are people who've you know because it's part of the culture have have genuinely got these skills and they're kind of celebrating it there's no i know but that's that's not the case in uh crippled avengers though obviously because it's uh well it's a five venoms movie so yes yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah okay yeah fair enough I, yeah but it is fantastic in two crippled heroes they're good i know i know <laughs> that's a sort of weird beauty and the beast movie oh these yeah there's so many of these things you uh, dear dear listeners arrowheads out there you are getting a bargain podcast here forget it being terrible we've recommended about 50 films um <laughs> go out and watch the amazing mr no legs yeah and 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 then watch my next recommendation um which actually isn't out for another couple of weeks so i think it's out november 3rd but um thelma which i saw a few weeks ago well no yeah two weeks ago which has really stayed with me it's a really really powerful beautiful film uh, about a young lady who um goes to college away from uh, a slightly you know you get a sense quite early on that her family is a little bit uh uptight and possibly repressive um she goes to college um she starts to have 
seizures which reveal that she has supernatural powers, possibly. Uh, I don't want to go too much further into it because I don't want to get into the spoiler zone. But with Thelma, I mean, there are a lot of lovely plot reveals and, you know, it's beautifully paced and structured and all the rest of it. But I'd say what makes Thelma so special is the kind of tone and atmosphere. It's just a really powerfully moving film in the kind of simplest way. It's, it's you know beautifully shot but there's nothing particularly extravagant about it other than a couple of effect sequences it's just the emotion of, of the characters and you know the, the the framing is what makes this film so special that's it that's it extra features extra features extra features do we have any extra features we do have we've some extra, extra features. features yeah we've got tons we've got one so uh, a couple of weeks ago or last week I don't know what day it is I went to see Ghost Stories as part of the London Film Festival and you may already know about Ghost Stories it's the the hit play um, that sort of took a lot of horror film tropes and brought them into a theatrical setting and scared the bejesus out of a lot of people and now they've turned that into a film and I went to see it and I enjoyed it and there was a Q&A afterwards which I sneakily recorded um, <laughs> hopefully I was allowed to do that we'll find out after this episode goes up but please go and see Ghost Stories when it's out it doesn't have a release date as yet but we'll talk about it again on the podcast when uh, when it is out because not only is it a great film um, we know a couple of people who are involved in it and they are lovely so um, what you're about to hear is uh, star and sort of co-creator Andy Nyman uh, director Jeremy Dyson and a, a surprise appearance from Paul Whitehouse so um have a little listen to them talking about ghost stories, the play and the film. I mean, you mentioned the cast and there's so many recognisable faces on the screen. Paul, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how you came to be involved with the project. I, I just answered an emergency response call. <laughs> 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 about a siren. And then I saw, there was a sort of interview process. They said that they wanted me, but then I had to do a test and then I had to answer a series of questions back to Ashley level. <laughs> and then I had to go and see them in a place called Leeds. <laughs> Dirty Leeds, obviously. <laughs> and, uh, and I had to do the same thing again. It was, it was quite a rigorous process. They kept saying, no, we, we really want you. Like that, they said it. We really want you in a really horrible, creepy way. We really want you. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually they got me. But I know, I, I tell you, to be honest, I'm not very good at reading scripts. And when I saw this straight away, I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant. And uh, I knew that I could at least do it. <laughs> so um, for me, it was a, yeah, a, a no-brainer straight away. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. There's an amazing thing with Paul, which is he doesn't think he's an actor and he's absolutely fucking amazing as an actor. Um, so the second we sort of unpicked, because that was a really hard part to cast, um, because we'd gone through lots of, we knew we wanted someone who was, you know, a brilliant comedian, because there's lots of comedy in there to mind, but also you had to, your heart had to just be open to them as well. and. And we sort of played this game where we were trying to think who we sort of went back to. Because we, one of us, 
some of you will probably know one of our inspirations was the Amicus anthology films from the 70s. And what was brilliant about them was that they, they would bus in this amazing talent because you only needed somebody for a week. And um, so we started playing that game. Well, if this was, you know, 1974, who would, who would it be? And that's what led us to Paul. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's been working together. No, actually, yeah, we sort of did that. We went, oh, and we came up with the idea that then it would have been sort of Ronnie Barker, but the Ronnie Barker and sort of Fletch and Porridge, you know, just brilliant. And then we were like, well, who is the Today who's any? And literally, it was like a light bulb going on. And we thought, well, we'll never get him. But bless him, I mean, we did. You could easily get me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was good, wasn't it? So that's pretty much it for us for this week. We're going to go and travel two weeks into the future in a minute and record the next episode. But before we do that, we're going to give you our tweeters. Oh, yeah, go on. Dan, <laughs> how can people find you? How useful is this if we're, we're stockpiling the, the episodes? Uh, my Twitter address is Twitter address. Is that what it's even called? God, my brain's fallen out. I think Sorry, it is. Sorry, guys, I'm full of cold medicine and whiskey. It is, yeah, Twitter, Twitter address. Twitter handle? Twitter handle. Twandle? Twandle. 13 finger FX, so that's at 13-F-I-N-G-E-R-F for Foxtrot, X for X-Ray. And I'll be putting up pictures of Toronto soon. <laughs> uh, I'm not jealous, guys. That's not that's not why I'm. I mean, Toronto's lovely, but it's not the place to be jealous of. I've just come back from Delhi. I've done Puerto Rico and like, well, before obviously poor people, but like, um, Toronto is not the place to be jealous of. I like Canada. Canada's amazing. Yeah. Um, so my tweeter is at Sam Ashurst, which is S-A-M-A-S-H-U-R-S-T. Almost forgot how to spell my own name there. And you will get better tweets than you'd expect from someone who can't remember how to spell their own name, <laughs> um, which includes reviews of stuff. I'm going to see Thor Ragnarok next week, so I'm excited about that. Um, and, you know, silly pictures and, um, you know, that's, that's it from me. Thank you so much for listening. And we promise we'll be more professional next time. Next time? Whenever that might be. Whenever that may be. See you in approximately two minutes. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.